it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, and thanks for being with me all week long. Every day is uh, scheduled big news, and there's breaking big news. Uh, today we got both two. Uh, we're going to follow all of it, as well as which could be released sometime within this hour. This uh, bipartisan immigration deal. Many Republicans have given up on. Some haven't. I just talked to Senator Kramer. Uh, that's going to be released. Could be within the show. We'll go over it. And um, others have just said, forget it. Speaker um, uh, uh, Speaker Johnson just basically said it's dead on arrival. I don't know how he could do that. He doesn't know what's in it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's three phases to every operation, the planning, the preparation, the execution. The planning is likely mostly completed, and the president's approved you know, a suite of targets and locations as well, certainly. But given the nature of the targets that can be moved, like rockets, missiles, launchers, and obviously if we're going after leaders, they can be moved. General Jack Keane with me earlier today, still waiting for a strong response or any response after our three soldiers were killed and 40 wounded at our base in Jordan. Now we wait for what we uh, we hear is a multi-day operation, multi-tiered. Meanwhile, our warship was seconds away from absorbing a devastating attack. Our enemies do not fear us. That is clear. Number two. Her actions speak louder than her words. If she meant what she said, then why does she have a state law that, that prevents ICE from arresting an illegal alien on the way to court, in court, or the way home from court? Why is she asking for $2.8 billion to resettle illegal aliens in her state if she's really serious about this? That is a, a great question, Tom Holman. It's the Wild West in the city streets of America. As illegal swell shelters, hotels, and tent complexes pop up, as this nation focuses on the migrant mob that beat down two NYPD cops and got out without bail. And now they might have skipped town, all part of your crime crisis, a crisis that some claim all about race. Number one. Challenger Gray came out with their uh, their, their layoffs, the big uh, spike, a huge spike in layoff announcements. Also, people, you know, putting up for want to sign. So the, the trajectory right now is going to start to even show up in the data, no matter how much they try to massage it. There you go. Uh, that, of course, is Charles Payne. New polls out for 2024. The Trump-Biden rematch while uh, is almost on, while Nikki Haley screams out, not so fast. We get a look at what issues you care most about. So a lot going on. So I'm going to go back and tackle this NYPD thing. We've all seen the video. Most of you have anyway. It came. It happened actually on Saturday night around 820 on 42nd Street in Midtown Manhattan. What happened? Well, two cops walking down the street, one lieutenant, one officer, sees this mob of teens or young 20s just blocking the street. The guy, he said, guys, move on. When he touched one of them in the back, they start punching the cops. One cop goes to help another cop. Six other guys jump on him. So we got five of the guys. It looks like, according to our sources, Fox sources, uh, four have skipped town. They got arrested and got let out without bail. Can you imagine hitting a cop and getting out without bail? Number one, can you imagine hitting a cop? Number two, can you imagine getting out without bail? So these guys skipped town, heading to California, reportedly. You believe this? California. 
Both sources say the NYPD is investigating whether migrants used fake names to get tickets and board a bus bound for California. Uh, a source says a woman recognized the men from the news and later alerted the police. Manhattan's DA says it's investigating these allegations. Currently, a total of six migrants have been arrested and arraigned in the case of these six people. Only one of them was held on cash bail. Can you believe this? They let these guys go. They don't even belong here. They're getting free housing, free laundry, uh, free ter- turndown service, shelter, obviously. And they have that little dis- that, that so disdain for us. Yeah, they get arrested, no bail, and then they give us the finger. One of these guys, two of these guys, one with the hood pulled over his face, giving us the finger, and then the other guy just smiling right into the camera like, you idiots, you real, you morons. You let us, uh, our, these, these mutants into you, uh, you let us, mutants, into your country, and now we're wreaking havoc, and you are surprised. It's absolutely insane. So the whole thing, it just boils down to the broken border. Texas has to take control. The broken border, the border patrol is overwhelmed. The broken border, a wall sits in the desert, and he doesn't put it together because, even though we paid for it, because Donald Trump came up with it. That's how crazy this is. Meanwhile, one of these guys that was held on $15,000 bail, how he got it, I don't know, uh, there's going to be... He's already held on a, uh, with a felony. He's uh, looked at as a flight risk. So they said the next court date is February 6th. So they held him. The rest have a court date that I'm pretty sure they don't care about. They're probably going to go to California where they get free health care. No one can ask them who they are, and they could probably freely go right across the border. That should not be a problem. This is going to be a defining. Uh, this is going to be a defining thing in the election. You mark my words because on every level. On every level, level it is falling apart, the immigration system, and the ripple effects go out through a whole country. Now, there's a, there's a comprehensive – not comprehensive, but there's a border bill about to be released. They're going to give us two or three days to read it and lawmakers a chance to vote on it in two days. Whether the House is going to accept it or not will determine if Republicans are going to get behind it or not. Senator Langford, whatever's in it, and we know roughly some of the things that are in it, is so frustrated because he feels as though uh, he's been put out to pasture. Everyone's ripping it and ridiculing it without even reading it. But Dan Crenshaw seems to think that we should take a deep breath and at least find out what's in it. Cut eight. The height of stupidity is having a strong opinion on something you know nothing about. I'm, I'm <clears> extremely disappointed in the very strange maneuvering by many on the right to, to, to torpedo uh, a potential border reform bill. If we have a bill that on net significantly decreases illegal immigration and we sabotage that, that is, that is inconsistent with what we told our voters we would do. People will make up whatever reasons they, they want to. There's a number of them, I'm sure. But it would be a, a pretty unacceptable dereliction of, of your duty. So, and of course, at stake is the Ukraine aid, which I think we should have. Senator Crane brought up a great point. He said to me today, I'll, I'll, be, I'll back Ukraine aid if it's all military. I don't want to pay anyone's pensions. I don't want to do humanitarian stuff. Let the Europeans do that. Only military. I don't have any problem with that. I really don't. We can't pay everybody else's bills, but we can help them win. It's in our national interest. We're not helping Aruba take out uh, Barbados. That has nothing to do with us. We're helping a neighbor, a friend, an ally who we pledged to defend in 1994 in the Budapest Agreement 
fight for their own freedom after they were invaded by a brutal expansionist evil neighbor led by Vladimir Putin. That's a fact. But looking at the border crisis right now, Dan Crenshaw is 100 percent right. Look at it before you reject it. But the problem is that plays into the skeptics is that when you have Joe Biden come out and say, I don't have the power to patrol the border, to seal the border, when he's done just the opposite, campaigned it, we have him in the debate saying it, if you come to our border, you should be able to stay. I'm not going to build a wall. Not one more mile of wall will be built. I'm not going to do the remain in Mexico. I'm going to get rid of Title 42. He does all those things and says he has no power to stop the wall, and he wants that soundbite to carry the day. That's when you realize, what am I dealing with? Why would I handle him a weapon to make him look like he just did a bipartisan border deal that nobody else could have gotten when we know he broke the border and now he's depending on Republicans to fix the border? By the way, who's coming in? A lot of Chinese. Listen to Anthony Agorio. He uh, he was at the border and he decided to ask some of these immigrants who had turned themselves in and being recorded where they're from. Cut six. China? 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 Colombia, ¿a dónde te diriges? Queens. Why are the Chinese coming here? It's I, I don't know, I've been to China, but I've been told that you cannot leave China without China saying it's okay to leave. They're not escaping anywhere because if they have any family members, they are immediately imprisoned if these people fight for, uh, run for freedom. And everybody knows that. Why would they be coming here? Here's Ron DeSantis on how this is not just a problem within the White House. It's a problem in all these blue states. Cut seven. The reason why we have open borders is because of liberal elites in this country. It's ideological, and it's fine for them to do it when they don't have to suffer any consequences of it. But as you saw with the Martha's Vineyard, once 50 illegal aliens showed up, it was like a major crisis, and they got them off that island. And you're right, it wasn't even in season, so they had massive numbers of rooms. Manhattan, they used a virtue signal when Trump was president about how everybody's welcome, nobody's illegal. Then you start to have people there. It, it crimps the services, and so now they're complaining about it. So I think what all this has just shown is open borders doesn't work. You have liberal Democrat voters now throughout this country who agree with us, which was not the case five or six years ago. So let's get this job done. Uh, I hope Congress will authorize the funding of the border wall. Um, and, and I hope that Biden will uh, be shamed into actually taking action, although I definitely wouldn't put money on that. We'll see what's in this bill. Let's just see what's in it. And then let's debate what's in it. So the Texas uh, has some encouraging news, being that they now have empowered their Texas Rangers and Texas National Guard to arrest anybody that comes here illegally and give them a choice, go to jail or get deported. Apprehensions are now down from January 25th to the 31st, only 32,000 in Texas. Arizona and California are up 71 percent to 23,000. Del Del Rio apprehensions in December, 71,000 in January, down to 16,000 in Texas. Wow. Right. Pretty impressive. When you send the word out, you're not coming in here. That turns people around because it is a business. I can't bring someone to the border. If word gets out, I bring them to the Texas border and nobody gets in and they get arrested. 
that's going to ripple right down to Ecuador, El Salvador, all these pathogens and pathways to our border, and they're going to lose their business. So they don't want to fail. So they go to New Mexico, Arizona, and California. So you listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to squeeze in some calls, one 866 I do want to go over the, the mayhem in the Middle East and, and a lot about 2024. I have some things to go over with the election, these polls. Very intriguing. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. No, I don't I don't believe a single word she says. Her actions speak louder than her words. If she meant what she said, then why does she have a state law that, that prevents ICE from arresting an illegal alien on her way to court, in court, or the way home from court? Why does she have the green light law that, that prevents ICE from getting access to New York State DMV data or criminal history data? Matter of fact, every law enforcement agency in New York has to sign a promise that if they share any of this data with ICE or the Border Patrol, they lose their access to DMV data. So, you know, why is she asking for $2.8 billion to resettle illegal aliens in her state if she's really serious about this? What she was saying is referring to Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, the accidental governor, who came out and said, I think we should really deport these illegal immigrants for getting a fight in our street and hitting our police officers. Tom Homan, who's spent his whole life in law enforcement, whose son is in the Border Patrol, excuse me, in ICE now, came out and said, there's not a, and by the way, he ran ICE. He goes, there's not a, uh, a cell in her body that's sincere. You can't have it. The same people that say defund the police, now you're worried about them when they get beat up? And then you let the people out to beat them up? You let them out without consequence? That's the whole problem. There is no consequence. I mean, this is unbelievable. It's just upside-down time in America, not just in New York. In Philadelphia and Chicago, we're seeing it. I mean, it, no one wants to be a cop in any major city. And in New York, they said, well, that's a little bit different. They really are back here. They got great leadership. Uh, that's all in the rearview mirror, not anymore. So here's uh, Pat Leiter. He's the acting ICE director. And even though he worked for an administration that hates ICE, he was honest. Cut five. 100%. We need more resources. Uh, we're working with the department and administration and our partners, obviously, in Congress uh, from appropriations. Listen, we need more resources, and we're working to get that as hard as we can. We understand the political realities of that, but, you know, we, do, we need more resources. We're currently under a CR through the beginning of March. And we're going to have to make some tough decisions going forward if we don't get more supplemental funding because we have to live within our means like everything else in the government and in, in reality. Uh, as far as what we're doing for beds, we're already over 5,000 more than what we're funded for. So we've been working, we've been punching far above our weight, and we're going to have to deal. Right. There, you have to understand he's, he's over a division that's being intentionally defunded. They think ICE is the problem because ICE comes in, they'll say, you don't belong here, you're out. ICE is here, you don't belong here, you're out. They don't want to hear it. Now, you, they don't do that unless you have broken the law. Technically, just coming over, over here illegally and staying or being a gotaway and staying is it. But they're talking about people that commit crime, run, get involved in gangs. They stake them out and they, uh, they get them out. 
But they don't want that. Not this administration. But if you vote them in again, it's only going to get worse. So if you want to know how ridiculous people are, the whole defund the police movement was run, uh, run really through the squad. These idiots starting in Minneapolis. It started in Ferguson in Missouri in St. Louis, and then, of course, in Minneapolis with the George Floyd. Nobody's condoning uh, what happened, but Michael Brown was pretty much guilty himself, and George Floyd was not a a pillar of integrity throughout the community, but he shouldn't have suffered that fate. Having said that, because the cops were vilified, a police station was ransacked and burned, now nobody wants to be a cop there. So people like uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, a squad member, has to realize they are responsible as anybody for the lawlessness in our country. But yet, when the lawlessness happens and good businesses move out, guess who she blames? Here she is yesterday on Capitol Hill, cut 20. When a Walgreens leaves a neighborhood, they disrupt the entire community and they take, them, and they take with them baby formula, diapers, asthma inhalers, life-saving medications, and of course, jobs. These closures are not arbitrary and they are not innocent. They are life-threatening acts of racial and economic discrimination. Shame on you, Walgreens. Walgreens is a multi-billion dollar corporation that needs to put their money where their mouth is and stop divesting from black and brown communities. What an idiot. Just a total moron. And even if she says that, she really believes what she's saying, she's beyond help. And I don't know what's worse, if she, if she knows she's responsible for it and just wants to get out in front of it. When these stores close up, they open up to make money or break even. They don't open up to get robbed. They don't open up to be impossible to staff because people fear for their welfare. They don't open up because certain states don't enforce shoplifting. They don't open up to keep everything behind lock and key, only to have people walk in with guns and make them open it up so they can empty that, that, uh, that drug uh, pharmacy out, which, by the way, endangers everybody. So when Walgreens gets robbed, when CVS gets robbed, when they get burned, they're not going to stay in an area that's going to hurt their corporation and be a losing business. That's not the way it works. They'll open up to help. There's insurance for people that can't afford it. That's not what the problem. This is not about health care. This is not about gouging. This is about security. And these places in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, New York City, it's not they can't get anybody to work. And they can't get security guards to show up because they're not empowered even to carry a gun. So you rob the place. Don't expect that place to stay open. And don't blame the corporations. A a multi-billionaire, million-dollar corporation is successful because they make money. What does she not understand about that? Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. She just got a letter from the minority Senate leader, the minority assembly leader in New York State, asking her to send National Guard troops to help Texas. So she really said, means what she says. There's four things she can do right now to, to, to take action. But again, she don't mean what she says. She, 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 she's an open borders governor. She's opened the state up to illegal aliens. She's enticed them to come to New York. They can I come there. Not only they can get a driver's license, they can get a job. And they're protected from law enforcement because they're a sanctuary city. And they got 7,000 jobs open that she hopes are filled with illegal immigrants. And she wonders why they're still coming. We just signed a $136 million contract with uh, 
more hotels to put illegal immigrants. They'll get turned down service. They're going to get three meals a day. They'll throw out most of them, fight in the lobby, and go get drunk. It's a fantastic situation we've been living with over the last three years. Paul Morrow joins us now, retired NYPD officer, as well as uh, now an attorney. Paul, we see the governor say they should be deported right away. This is just lip service, correct? Complete lip service. She doesn't have that power. She's part of the problem that instituted the criminal justice reforms that we see in action here when these guys who beat up the cops in Times Square immediately get out. And here's a subtlety that nobody is talking about. Venezuela won't take them. As we saw in 1980 in the Cuban boat lift, when we tried to deport some of the Cuban criminals, because Castro emptied out his prisons and his insane asylums, we tried to send some of them back. Castro said, no thanks. Same thing's going to happen here with Maduro. He knows what he's doing. And by the way, the Venezuelans and Cubans are very tight. Cuba runs Venezuela's intel services. So short of loading them up into a B-52, flying over Caracas, handing them a parachute and tilting the plane, they're not going anywhere. This was a one-way ticket. Get used to this story. And and they're not going to go to jail. Why wouldn't they be eligible for jail for hitting a cop? Well, they're eligible for jail, but the DA's office, who admits that those were jail, uh, you know, bail eligible offenses, and that is to say they could have asked for bail to hang on to them. They just didn't ask for it. And, you know, it's so confounding because anybody would understand that, look, these guys are not even going to show up for their asylum hearing when it comes up in a couple of years. They're not coming back to Manhattan criminal court to face the music on this thing. They're just going to vanish into the air. So I have to say this is only one of two possibilities. They were either incredibly incompetent or they made the calculus that, you know what, let's let them flee. It's only a couple of cops who got hit. They probably didn't expect that it was going to be as uh, publicized as it has been. And they probably figured, you know what, they're poor immigrants. All right, so they smacked a couple of cops. The cops probably instigated it and let them go, and they'll probably leave the country, uh, leave the city, go someplace else in the country, and we'll never have to deal with them again. And that looks like that's what's occurred. But, Paul, here's the problem. Uh, they didn't just disappear. We know their faces. We're outraged by it. This has become a national story, not a New York Street story. This is a huge problem for them. You can't – and for the federal government because that is the face of ungrateful illegal immigrants. They're giving us the finger and, and just mocking us and sticking their tongues out at the camera as if to say, you idiots, you let us in. We're up to no good. You feed us, clothe us. You give me a stipend, and I'm, I'm happy to spit in your face. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think, as I said, I don't think they anticipated that it would blow up as big as it did, which shows you the bubble that a lot of these people live in. And look, their comportment tells you all you need to know. You don't have to be a cop for 25 years to know these are perps. What happens here is that they were eaten in and around Times Square. Ninety percent of the pickpocket arrests in and around Times Square are Venezuelan migrants. They didn't learn those skills here. They didn't get here, hit the ground, and learn how to pickpocket. These are criminals who had those skills, who were locked up back home for this kind of stuff. They got here, and what's really concerning to me is that you're starting to see territories develop. You know, there are stories in the West Village of Colombians running shoplifting rings. In Midtown, it appears to be Venezuelans. When you start getting staked out territories, what comes next is battle over territories. And, you know, we've imported these problems, and now look, I'm not saying all that the migrants are criminals. Of course not. I know it's only a percentage. But Donald Trump has gotten this one right. The only person I've seen saying it is Trump, and which is that Venezuela is emptying out their bad element, and they're sending them here as part of this wave. And we have fallen for it, but we can't kid ourselves. They're not going home.
They're not. Uh, by the way, Venezuela had to steal. They said, if you have free and fair elections, we'll start importing your oil. And we started right. uh, getting their oil. You know, they basically told everybody on the ballot to get off. Maduro's going to run by himself. So they broke that deal. So yeah, right away. Fall for it. Yeah, yeah. So obviously yeah. not that many people thought they were going to have free and fair elections, except for maybe a desperate White House who wanted to make sure the price of oil is down and didn't want to be drilling anymore. But, you know, I saw Danny Penny's attorney get into the news and he said this, Thomas Kenneth said the primary purpose of bail is to ensure that people return to court, which I understand they seem to be minimal if no ties to New York City. Moreover, anyone who's willing to resist arrest or even worse, assault a police officer, that's indicative of someone who doesn't have respect for the legal system, which makes them even less likely to return to court. So if there was ever a situation where bail is appropriate, this seems to be the case. Danny Penny had to put up bail, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and that's, you know, let me tell you, that's reassuring to hear because, um, you know, I, I don't know the lawyer personally. I know of him even before this case. And he's a good attorney. And everything you just said is accurate. That is the purpose of bail. And as it's as he said, the point of it is to make sure you return any sentient human being working in the criminal justice system under the fact pattern that we know occurred would say, these guys are not coming back. And what's really infuriating, Brian, is that then the DA's office plays us all for fools. And they say, we let them go because we need to do further investigation. Ugh. Every case can have further investigation. We know that. you got a film. you got the cops can point out who did what. And even if you do need further investigation, that's not the metric. The metric is exactly as Penny's lawyer just said. Will they back? Will they come back? And anybody would say these guys aren't coming back. You got to hold them. We got them on two C felonies that carry 15 years each. No, they're not getting out. And you would think that even the judge might have said something, but apparently not. And welcome to Manhattan. Paul Morrow's with us now, attorney retired NYPD. So we have an eyewitness says they got on a bus to California. We know the bus. We know exactly mm-hmm. where it is. We're tracking it. We probably know the company. We know the company. This is the eyewitness. So do we? Do we call up where, as he transfers the country to Chicago and say, pull this guy over, Pennsylvania? Yeah. I mean, do we just yeah, arrest you, him out of state? Yeah, you do. And that is, you know, I'm sure that they're scrambling now. They have some people ready to jump on planes. They know where the bus is, et cetera. But um, I, rather than try to get NYPD guys, look, I don't know operationally what they're doing, but I've been in these circumstances where you're trying to get somebody who has uh, essentially bounced on you. You need help. And the cops almost always will pick up the phone and help other cops. And so I'm sure they know this story. And if you can identify the bus and say, okay, look, it's it's pulling into Chicago right now, Chicago PD is going to help you. By now, I hope that the Manhattan DA's office has got their legs under them to get a bail jumping warrant because uh, this idea that they have to wait for their court date, which has been floating around, is also nonsense. Very clearly, they've jumped bail. You can get them back just off of that. Furthermore, they used false identities to get the tickets, right? They had a G number, a government number you get when you come into the country as an asylee. They used different G numbers, which I'm sure they got from uh, people in the shelters, and then they left in the dead of night, 1.30 a.m. And, Brian, I can tell you something else. There's reporting that hasn't gone mainstream, and, you know, it's a little speculative, but I'm going to say it. OEM, that's a city agency here in New York, has a program where they give vouchers to the migrants to leave New York, to get on a bus and leave New York. It looks a lot like what happened here. Those vouchers are 600 bucks each. And what I'm hearing is that these were, they went on the buses, paid for their tickets and fled town on New York City money. 
with those yeah. vouchers. Too bad. So I guess that's we, unsurprising, but yeah, the, this story got got away from them. Now we're living it. Uh, too bad there's not more of a, of a Republican presence here to really push back. But this is an opportunity for the opposition party to get in there and say, I have a better alternative and get your life back. The other thing, Paul, was I can't believe they're allowed to put him into working class areas. They put him into Brentwood, Long Island. They put him into uh, urban environments without a lot of resources. They stick their kids in schools that are where the teachers aren't getting paid as much and the facilities are run down. They never put them in Beverly Hills. They never put them in Greenwich, Connecticut. How do they get away with this? It's amazing, you know, and I think the perfect metaphor for that was the shipment that went to Martha's Vineyard. You know, they, the Martha Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard liberals, including our former president, Barack Obama, were apoplectic about a handful of migrants landing on their beautiful island, but yet every one of them would fight you tooth and nail over the idea that those people should be here, but it's for thee, not for me. And you're 100% right. They put them into areas where the people don't have a lot of power, don't have much of a voice. And Brian, isn't it a just a metric, a, a common dictum of progressivism that as they purport to be sticking up for people of color, poor communities, areas that don't have a lot of power and a lot of say in how the country's run, those are the people that they end up in the end of the day really sort of knifing in the back because the bail reform, who gets shot? Young black men. Who, you know, who, where are the drugs? What neighborhoods? You know, they're not, as you say, in Beverly Hills. You know, they're not in the rich areas. The areas that they say they're, they are supposedly protecting are the ones that they end up screwing over the worst, and it's all about control. Those are areas that they can control, and they get the votes, and uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we fall for it. Right. And by the way, uh, the Eric Adams has signed another series of emergency hotel contracts worth $137 million, eight yeah, hotels. Brooklyn, Queens, yeah. the Bronx, and Manhattan will add more than 750 rooms for asylum seekers, families with kids. And the largest deal went to the Housing Option and Geriatric Association Resources, a Bronx-based company that specializes in helping the elderly, seriously mentally ill adults, the homeless adults uh, living with special needs and physically challenged. But now the challenge is putting the migrants there, and they are up for the challenge because they get the money. They have a sold-out hotel, so they sell it out. And they have nothing to worry about. So they make money. They get paid, Brian, whether or not the room is occupied. Amazing. That goes back to what they did when they were under de Blasio. They got so tired of being sued by the homeless lobby, which is a very big business in this town. So rather than deal with the lawsuits, they said, okay, we will pay you to have every room rented by the city so that we never turn somebody down because they interpreted right to shelter to be an absolute right to having a room. A lot of times, the rooms don't even get rented. Why? Because the homeless don't want to be in the shelters because they have a curfew, and they don't want to be in the shelters early. They want to be on the streets. They want to cop drugs. They want to be out there. And recognizing that, homeless services, in fact, made the curfew later. It used to be 9. I think they bumped it to 11 to try to get these people into into the shelters. You hear it all the time. If we have all these shelters, why are these people lying around on the streets out of their minds on drugs? Well, that's your answer. And so as as a result, a lot of the hotel rooms go begging, but it doesn't matter. City pays cash on the barrel, and we all know there's there's no more sure thing on earth than municipal money. I hear. Uh, Paul Morrow, great. I really appreciate your incident analysis. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Right. And and I just say, underline, I think you know the story. We're telling you about New York, but it's everywhere. 
and a lot of it are even more permissive than what Paul just described. So one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'm going to go back. We come back. I'm going to go over the new poll numbers. Also, what do you think is the most important issue? I'll tell you what this study showed. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We now have, in large part because of you and organized labor, the strongest economy in the whole damn world. We do. We do. In the whole world. Inflation's coming down. Jobs are growing. We created 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Remember they told us we were dead, manufacturers dead in America? China was going to eat our lunch? Well, guess what, man? We don't taste that good. What does that mean? What is it? What is it? for number number one? When he talks to these union people, it's such an insult. He acts like they're raw people, cavemen, eating from cans. You know, what, why do you talk to people like that? Why do you just assume that they don't have a big vocabulary? That they want to be yelled at and spoken to like that? You throw in a damn and a hell. Uh, it's unbelievable. But it's he does the same thing. He does the same thing. Not hyperbole. Throws that in. What does that even mean? Don't eat your lunch. We don't taste too good. I don't know. Just trying to be funny. China tried to eat us. We're not going to, you're not going to enjoy it. I don't know. It's. Uh, and everyone just goes along with it because they think they're supposed to laugh. So the other thing is you, you pointed out a clip that he had. He was off mic and basically talking about what he thinks of Trump. He was on mic. That was on mic. See, I read this as off mic and this is how they really are behind the scenes. Should we play it? I have not heard it. I always I thought we just read it. Is it number fifteen? Oh no! So fifteen is them reacting to Trump, sort of um, the morning Joe panel reacting to Biden calling Trump sick. Um, so you want to hear the reaction to it? That's what you were talking about. I was right. talking about um, where was it? I'm not sure. Anyway, we might as well play this cut now to hear it. Well, just so, just so you know, evidently behind the scenes, he does not want to bring up Trump on camera until recently. Now he's running against him, it seems. But behind the scenes, he is he is just despises Trump existence. By the way, I don't even Trump almost feels bad for Biden. But listen to this. This is the reaction to Joe uh, cursing and using vile terms to describe the former president. Cut 15. Others in the Biden camp were very pleased to hear this come out because they say, look, the president is simply saying what a lot of Americans think. And of course, Biden is calling Trump a sick because he is. Who has not basically by this point called Donald Trump that? So it's pretty obvious and pretty unsurprising. I think it's relatable. I mean, yeah. you know, you, Biden's running for president. I think, uh, you know, he wants to be as relatable as possible. And there are a lot of Americans out there who probably see this as pretty cathartic. And I think I think this may be um, may be a, one reason why the White House probably should let him out more. There's been concerns that that he's not getting out. He's not doing enough stuff. He's not answering enough questions. All right. So if he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. So evidently behind the scenes, he calls uh, Joe Scarborough all the time. He, he's obsessed with the show. A couple of things. 
Uh, there's some concern that he doesn't answer any questions. Some concern he doesn't answer any questions. He doesn't do any interviews, let alone an interview where he's not totally scripted. He had, does no interviews, no press conferences, never goes out. Why? We've done four or five, four of the five events he has. He has a major gaffe, a nonsensical statement. And don't tell me because he was a stutterer when he was 11. He's now 80 years old. He can't walk. He has trouble getting through a speech, reading the prompter. His one-word answers in front of helicopters are totally confusing, and they set the world afire. His decisions through his staff are slow and oftentimes 180 degrees wrong. His instincts are terrible. Now, the economy is starting to show some positive signs. And he would spend all summer telling everyone how Bidenomics is great. Now, the economy, they added 353,000 jobs, and that's good. Uh, unemployment is 3.7. That's been low for about four years. Uh, inflation is going down, but inflation is still up, but it's still it's going in the right direction. So they want him to go out. So sit down and then talk about the debt. Sit down and then explain to me your border policy and have somebody do a follow-up question. That's not really true. You've only been there once and you decide not to build a wall. Do you regret that? You decided to do the, get rid of the remainder of um, uh, Mexico policy. Is that a mistake? Uh, when it comes to the Middle East, was it bad eight days before the January, October 7th attack that Jake Sullivan said the Middle East has never been calmer and more peaceful? In retrospect, was, uh, was it show how bad your staff is when the Secretary of Defense could disappear for three weeks and nobody misses him? And when it turns out, when we do find him, he's in the hospital with cancer and you never knew about it. How do you think that makes you look? What does it take to get fired in your administration? Yeah, bring Joe out more. Great idea. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Yeah, we're just a few blocks, really, from where the illegal immigrants were walking around 42nd Street on Saturday night around 8:30, and they were just blocking the entire sidewalk. And then two police officers, one a lieutenant, said, hey, guys, you got to break it up. They didn't move, so he touched one of them, and that set him off. And these guys, who we don't know where they're from, started pounding on the cops. They did the best they could. We got five or six of them, all of them out in bail. Many of them have escaped. There's a lot going on today. This hour, I'm going to be joined by Michael Allen, former special assistant uh, to President Bush, senior director of the National Security Council. We're going to talk about what's happening overseas and talk about everything with Trace Gallagher, anchor of uh, Fox News at night, but he's here from Los Angeles, not just for me, and I'm okay with that. It's okay. I'm, I'm that. I'm personally, I'm secure in myself. Uh, well, you know, you would never go three thousand miles for me. I was told that I was here specifically for you, Brian. But listen, that's just so that I means told. I have to sign your. But I was told report? that by Allison, and she's right. You know, she, right, and she is. He's my advocate. Exactly. So uh, Trace got your own show at night. So Trace, yeah. uh, first off, are you amazed that you got here in the middle of this? And for people to understand, even yeah. though we're saw, heard on 77 WABC here, this is a national story. It, it's a national story. And the, here's the key to the whole thing is that if I or you went to Times Square right now and we kick cops in the head and we knock cops down, we would be at Rikers, Brian, for the foreseeable future. It's not like we would be let out. It's not like they would drop these to misdemeanors. They would charge us with felonies and they would put us in Rikers until we could figure out a trial date or whatever and get bail. This is unbelievable. And I came from California to New York. These guys are in New York. And now the word is that they're heading back to 
to California. Yeah. So you've got all these guys that f- that literally get out of jail, and now they're like going to California where they can pick up all the incentives. They can get the free health care. They can get the housing help. They can get food stamps. They can get it. They can get whatever they want in California because it's a sanctuary city. And keep in mind, the big part of the sanctuary city is, as you see this video kind of going around, is that they will not cooperate with ICE or Customs and Border Protection. So if ICE wants to come and get these guys and pick them up to bring them back to New York, California will not cooperate. Well, the interesting, if they get there, it's a long ride. It's a long ride. We know exactly the bus they were on because it was an eyewitness that told us it. Right. And there's only a certain amount of buses anyway. So we could stop that. And then I don't know what the first stop would be on that bus line. But right away, you gave wrong ID, you got on a bus, that you have a court appearance, you're heading in the wrong direction. Right. So I don't know the legal ru- the rules. Can you just lasso them back and bring them back? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And, and the, the other part of this is, is that when you're talking about these illegal IDs that these guys and a lot of other migrants have gotten, now they have this ring in New York and other parts of the country that these guys are almost like this organized crime unit. Well, they are making their own IDs. They are having these retail thieves go in, steal all this stuff, and it's funding this fake ID. Uh, network uh, for the migrants so you can give them fake ID so they can go and try to get jobs. And now police are just digging down. Because there are so many of them here, they have formed in just uh, two years, three years, they have formed their own networks of crime activities from retail gangs to phony documents, you name it. This thing is becoming bigger and bigger by the day. So we've been covering this story, and you intimately, especially on a border state like California, who has a totally different philosophy from Texas when it comes to legal immigration. So for the longest time, they go, hey, we so, what are you guys so upset about? Where's right. your heart? Right. Yeah, well, come on, don't you care about other people? <laughs> you know what they just did? By getting arrested, by beating a cop, NYPD, who should be treated like royalty, especially in this country from what they've been through. Many people thought to think the, final, uh, the finest police force in the country. By treating them so disrespectfully and then coming out of court and giving us the finger right. – Right. And and with that smug look, you know what they're saying to everyone who said, have a big heart? They're not going to be saying that now because that, that's the new face of the illegal immigrant, like it or not. Right. And and if you're Joe Biden, that's the worst picture you have. Forget the campaign stuff. Forget the finances. Forget the economy. All of that stuff in the border. We have been for three years down at the border, and we have seen them come across and seen them come across and across the Rio Grande. We have seen them do heinous things, but you only see mugshots. When you see somebody with the disrespect of coming into this country because they are Right. ostensibly looking for a better life, and they flip off the cameras, that is a message that Joe Biden right. hates to see because it will resonate from now. And every time somebody brings this crisis up, they're going to show that picture. So Lawrence Jones goes to Denver, Boston, Chicago, right. and he talks to at least one Democratic mayor in Denver. And they just say, look, I don't want these people sitting on the streets. I want to get them jobs. Mm-hmm. Kathy Hochul, same thing. i got 7,000 open jobs. Play it out. If you have 7,000 open jobs and you can come to America, you can live for free, get three meals a day, get mini menus, your laundry done, turn down service, and then you get a job, do you understand that you just tripled, quadrupled, Mm -hmm. multiplied the number of legal immigrants coming there? Can you possibly play this out? So here's Governor Kathy Hochul now, even though the audio is not great, pretending to be the tough law enforcement governor. Cut one. Any response to police searching for additional suspects in the Times Square attack on police? Get them all and send them back. Right. You don't touch a police officer. You don't touch anyone. Well, you're I know it's a city and you're the governor of the state, 
But that city judge said, no, not a flight risk. They've already left. Right. So listen to Tom Holman hears this and said, cut to. No, I don't, I don't believe a single word she says. Her actions speak louder than her words. If she meant what she said, then why does she have a state law that, that prevents ICE from arresting an illegal alien on her way to court, in court, or the way home from court? Why does she have the green light law that, that prevents ICE from getting access to New York State DMV data or criminal history data? Matter of fact, every law enforcement agency in New York has to sign a promise that if they share any of this data with ICE or the Border Patrol, they lose their access to DMV data. So, you know, why is she asking for $2.8 billion to resettle illegal aliens in her state if she's really serious about this? This is a, this is a turning point. He, he makes a great point, and we just talked about it, where you've got protection. You, you go to these states, these sanctuary states, and you have built-in protection, and they can't do it, or they lose their status. And now they want to do it, but they still can't. And even if they could, Brian, just imagine right. if Kathy Hochul got her, what she said yesterday was her wish, got her her desire to send these people out. What happens when they go out? Six days later, they're right back in. We have seen this time and time again. They come in not just three or four times. We have illegal migrants coming across that border dozens of times, and they are deported over the years, and over the course of 20 years, they'll come back and forth and back and forth, and they get money, they go home, and they come back, and that's part of this whole thing is you cannot control them because you right. do not know who is here. So we don't know who's here. The crime and uh, lack of punishment is this new trend in these major cities. We might be at a breaking point here because we factor in the illegal immigrant thing. It's all co- it's all coming together to make people make a decision. Mm-hmm. The votes are going to be dramatically different. If you vote Republicans into these major cities to make decisions, law and order will come back. Democrats will push back, but it'll come back. Crazy, think about it. When Donald Trump in 2017 said mm-hmm. it's the end of sanctuary cities, the courts pushed back and he lost a lot of those decisions. Right. And he lost them. Yeah. So that's why when I laugh when Governor DeSantis went at Trump and said, I'll get that done, it might no. things might change now. Thanks. If you bring that up now, because Adams has come out and said, I, I wish we were in a sanctuary city. Right. Now if the pre, if a president of the United States says, I want to get rid of that, it might it might work. It might, but but remember they asked for this. These places, New York, California, they asked for Chicago, yeah. Illinois, they asked to become sanctuary cities and they got what they wanted and now it's going to be very difficult for anybody to overturn that because even it's a small section of people who are disenchanted and disenfranchised because the state that has no contact with what's happening in these in these cities is like, "Oh, it's just fine. It's going to be it's going to be totally good." What they're missing in this whole argument is that there is no remedy. There's no immediate remedy. I don't care what Trump says when he gets into office. He's not going to be able to take California, which is 70 percent Democrat, and turn it into a non-sanctuary state. It won't happen because the voters won't allow it to happen, despite the fact the pendulum definitely is swinging. So do you remember Chicago? I don't know if you had a chance to see it or you ran it on your show at night. But remember in Chicago, uh, residents of inner city Chicago showed up at a city council meeting and they said, we want on the ballot sanctuary city status. And the city council said no. But for the people to walk up from that city, not outside of Republican, and say, I want that on the ballot, it shows something's turning. 
We had a woman in that meeting on our show. Her name was Kata Truss, and she's a resident of Chicago, and she was involved in the school board, and she was involved in local politics, and she is black, and she lives in an underserved neighborhood, and she said, we are fed up. We have them coming into our schools, and so they're teaching in two languages, and the, and the kids that can't read or write at grade level anyway are now getting half the education that they were getting two years ago. And that's the frustrating part. She says this has got to end, and it has to end in Chicago, where where they won't give the black population anything, right. and they're giving these people everything. So, so uh, a tape emerged, and I'm sure you did run it, of Gavin Newsom. <laughs> uh, talking, talking about, maybe you want to set it up, give it some context. The governor talking about yeah. how he walked in to really catch someone in the act as if he finally got to the bottom of this. They didn't recognize who he was. Right. So he walked into a Target store, right, in California, and he was with his son. And they go into the Target store, and they see somebody stealing stuff and walking out. Well, the guy drops something, and Gavin Newsom's son picks it up and gives it to the criminal. And the guy walks out. And then he goes to the cashier, and he says, that, that guy, he goes, the cashier says, oh, he just walked out. And Gavin Newsom says, why didn't you stop him? And the cashier says, well, because the governor has lowered the threshold. So now you can steal whatever you want to, and you walk out, and we are told not to follow him. And he's like, well, that's not true. That's not true. And then and she didn't recognize him. And he goes on. He says, swear to God, swear to God, on my mother's life, swear to God, she said, oh, it's the governor. And then I said, that's not true. And I pointed out that how 10 states are worse than us. They have a higher threshold. You know, he's got to argue his point, even with it, even with a cashier, Brian, because he knows he's wrong. He knows that it's, this is a disaster and he's been caught red handed in a Target store. Cut 25. The woman says, oh, he's just walking out. He didn't pay for that. I said, well, why are you stopping him? She goes, oh, the governor. Swear to God, true story. On my mom's grave, the governor lowered the threshold. There's no, there's no, there's no accountability. There's no. I said that's just not true. She looks at me twice and then she freaks out. She calls everyone over, wants to take photos. I'm like, no, I'm not taking a photo. We're having a conversation. Where's your manager? How are you blaming the governor? And it was, you know, three hundred eighty dollars later. And I was like, why am I spending $380? Everyone can walk the hell right out. Mm-hmm. That's the so, governor asking, why am I spending money when everybody can walk the hell out? Now, Trace, now to the reality. Mm-hmm. You can steal up to $1,000. $950. So what's he talking about? Why he, would he offer this story? Because because he thinks that they're better than parts of the nation. He thinks he's doing a better job than other states who have a higher threshold. But the facts of, are not backing up the story. If any, He's talking on KTTV. Right, right. He, he's, he doesn't have the facts. That's the whole thing. If you watch the DeSantis debate, he just says whatever he wants to. Do you think he knows? I, I think he knows. I think he knows, and he's just trying to he's trying to twist it like he always does and say, no, 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 there are places that are worse. There's no place worse than California. Proposition 14 proved that, and, and there's that? no back. What's that? What is Proposition 14? That's where they, they limit they, – they raised the theft level, so grand theft – uh, it's not under $950. It is not a felony. And so, and nobody's counting. So you can walk out with whatever you want, whenever you want. They go into an Apple store and they walk out with tens of thousands of dollars in equipment and nobody prosecutes them. So it's not a matter of the dollar amount. It's the fact that they have decriminalized crime in California. And the governor, it's like, you know, when he says, oh, I swear to God, swear to God, my, I'm my mother's grave. It's like the Joe Pesci thing, right? Joe Pesci and Goodfellas, like, swear to God, on my mother's grave. He, and he says it all the time. Like, I'm, li- I'm not lying. Uh, you got to trust me. I'm not lying. This is the truth. This time it's really the truth. I mean, no, maybe sometimes, it, but this time it's really the truth. And it just shows you that most of the time, eh, he's kind of fudging the facts. What's his approval rating, roughly? Is it under 50? Uh, it, it is always under 50, but, but 
it's not enough to recall him. They tried to recall him, and he didn't have the votes. He didn't have the support because California is 70 percent Democrat. It's 26 percent Republican. It's largely, I mean, I say 70, but it's probably 61, 62 percent Democrat. Independents make up the rest. Independents always lean left in California. So they are outnumbered, and, and the, the odds of getting him out of office, even even in an election, though he, he's terming out, even in an election, it's it's slim and none because they just don't have the capacity in California. Senator Feinstein's seat is open. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Adam Schiff is the top seed. Right. Of the top two seeds, I don't care your party, in the jungle primary, yeah. will we'll face off. Will it be Steve Garvey? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's going to be Steve Garvey as the, as the GOP nominee. I mean, that's Right, the, but would you think thing. he'll be number two? Uh, probably. I mean, Katie Porter is running strong. That's You've who got he Adam wants. Schiff. He yeah. wants to run against number. He wants to run against a Republican. He does. Of course he does. I mean, that's the whole point. If you want to run against a Republican, the odds of you winning are high, very high. I mean, the last Republican who, who carried a state office... Maybe it was Schwarzenegger, right? And Obviously. Schwarzenegger really was kind of a moderate. He ran as a Republican, uh, but he had name notoriety. And, and the, the whole concept was that he really governed as a moderate, as a left moderate, not as a conservative. Right. He started off very conservative, yes. got and spanked, then he went left. Yeah. And he went left. Yeah. Uh, but in the big picture, Garvey have any shot? No. I mean, listen, he, he, Steve Garvey's a great He's guy. He's got such recognition in San Diego and Los Angeles. Right, but he doesn't have any experience in politics. And so when he goes into the debate, he has some good lines, some practice lines. But Steve Garvey doesn't have the experience to be able to go in and, and beat someone like Adam Schiff, who Adam Schiff is, for all intents and purposes, a liar. He was censured as a liar. But he calls himself a maverick, and the people on the left call him a maverick. So he can lie about Russian collusion again and again, Brian. But nobody in California who's voting for Adam Schiff has any idea that he lies because they don't cover his lies. Right, which is incredible. Uh, but you know, too, that that woman at Target was 100 percent right. Lastly, it looks like there was a big fundraiser for Joe Biden, Steven Spielberg, and others. Yeah. George Soros gathered. They gave him millions of dollars. He's still popular. Kate Capshaw's wife, obviously. Right. Uh, Soros. Um, is he still very popular in the Hollywood community? You know, the whole thing is, it's not that Joe Biden is popular. It's that the Democratic Party is popular. So they are not about to put Trump back in office. They will do whatever and spend whatever. Is Joe Biden their ultimate candidate? Would they like somebody else? Would they like somebody younger? Across the board, the answer is yes. So they're not fans of Joe Biden. They're fans of the Democratic Party, and they are not fans of Republicans and Donald Trump. Trace, when, would you see any, when do we see you again? Uh, Fox News at night tonight, uh, 11 o'clock in the east, 8 o'clock in the west. All right. All right. So don't peak. You peaked early. That's my problem. You just had a great hit here. Can you keep it going tonight? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep. I'm in fact, I'm just gonna keep talking all the way down. So the you don't lose it. And, so yeah, you don't lose I your edge. I want to make sure that I've got the, the mojo going. Trace, thank Gallagher. you, Brian. Great show. It was great to see you. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We as a city and a community need to be much more focused on prevention and surrounding young people and their families with resources if we want to be safer in the long run. We cannot prosecute and arrest our way out of it. Really, uh, that is uh, that is Sonny Johnson, right? Uh, that was Brian Schwab, rather, a WTTG, Attorney General on, on the crime crisis. 
Uh, yeah, you could arrest your way out of it. And when, when you begin to arrest people and pull them off the streets, that'll certainly matter. Yeah, you have to get into those inner cities. You've got to give them options, absolutely. But when there's no consequences, everyone is doomed. Then you go into this elite capital, the Georgetowns, this, uh, the area right around the White House. And all of a sudden you realize, I can't leave my car idling, obviously, or on the street, clearly. Or go out of a restaurant. You're talking about they're shooting running backs. They're shooting government officials. They're taking... Uh, government, Governor, excuse me, Congressman Cuellar's car. I mean, this is unbelievable what's happening in our nation's capital. Why this president doesn't understand that this should be a priority, I don't know. Why he doesn't understand that this whole border border thing matters, I don't know. But you look at what these polls say. The number one issue is the economy. Number two is immigration. Number three is crime. They think it's going to be abortion. Women's rights. Don't think so. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mr. Secretary, first of all, we wish you good health and thank you for taking our questions. We hope you have a quick recovery. I have two questions. I'll start with the first one on your hospitalization. You were hospitalized for days before you informed the White House or the Commander-in-Chief of your condition and your absence. Anyone else within the military chain of command would have faced reprimand or even dismissal. Why shouldn't that same standard apply to you, sir? Well, let me just say that, uh, uh, thanks for the question, that, that we didn't get this right. And as I said, I take full responsibility for, uh, for uh, the department's actions. Uh, in terms of w- why uh, on the second notification was, was not made to the White House, uh, that information was available. Uh, I'm not sure uh, at this point uh, what exactly happened, but I think details uh, will uh, will play out as a review is, is conducted. All right, that is Lloyd Austin yesterday, and he was reading that. Every time someone asks him a challenging question about his disappearance and his cancer uh, surgery and the lack of communication, he read. Uh, I think this. we don't know this story. We still do not know this story. But this is in a time of peace. This is a time when we just lost three guys, three soldiers, a woman today, their bodies are coming back to Dover, 40 people hurt, We've had uh, countless so-called minor injuries, not really minor when they're trabranic brain injuries. And then we have 46 attacks in the Red Sea, uh, about almost 200 attacks in the region. And our secretary of defense, who is gone and never empowered his deputy and then just threw his staff under the bus, maybe justifiably. But he'd say, you know what, I went on surgery. I don't know why they didn't tell anybody. Okay, so now you're saying I'm only going to take so many punches. The guy should be fired. He should actually have resigned. That's my view. Michael Allen, former special assistant to the president, to President Bush, senior director of the National Security Council. Uh, Michael, I, I can't believe we're even talking about this. You had a secretary of defense disappear and not even tell anybody. Yeah, I can't decide which is worse, that he disappeared and didn't tell anybody or that no one noticed for a few days. He definitely should have called this in and transferred responsibility, at least to his deputy. I remember working for President Bush when he had to do some minor surgery or a procedure, and there was a big announcement that for four hours, Vice President Cheney would assume some duties of the presidency. A secretary of defense who was previously a CENTCOM commander and someone 
that has led our armed forces in war ought to know better than to go virtually incommunicado for some period of time when we're in the middle of a Middle East conflagration. Now, he said that I never told him to keep the sirens off when the ambulance went to pick up. He said that, you know, when I went in again, I never told anyone not to say anything. So do you think his staff falls on the sword and says so? Or is his staff that incompetent not to realize there were ramifications? The Secretary of State is underneath anesthesia. Um, I think I got to go do something. Do you really think that you know what these staffs are like? Are they that? Is it possible they could be incompetent and uh, incompetent enough to think that that's okay not to tell anybody? So I think they're both to blame on this score. I mean, the staff should have been more intrepid. They should have been inquisitive about what was going on and realized their place in the national security system and asked questions. But at the same time, he seemed like he was hiding this even from some of his top staffers. So I'm not real sure. I can't wait to read the inspector's general report on this to figure out what happened. But at the end of the day, it's unacceptable in a time of war to be virtually incommunicado. By the way, what does it take to get fired? I mean, my goodness. (laughs) How could you not – and he, this guy goes through his whole life in the military. And, if, and that was a great question. If someone in your, under, underneath you and you're serving just disappeared for a while, the whole staff doesn't know and doesn't communicate. Is that okay with you? And they thanks for the question. And then he reads off a sheet. Here's Michael Waltz, Green Beret, Cut 19. But in this case, it's a massive lapse of judgment. This isn't about one person's privacy. When you're in, the, in that kind of chain of command, uh, for example, Brett, if we, there's an ICBM, you know, a nuclear-tipped missile launched against us, we have 15 minutes to get everybody on, on the line, make a decision on how we're going to respond in a way that could or could not uh, destroy the entire world. And in this case, we had soldiers and sailors being shot at Uh, while he was under anesthesia, uh, while his deputy didn't know. Uh, And so I would ask him, uh, and will ask him when we have a hearing, will he hold himself to the same standard that he would hold any commander uh, in the military that he oversees if they didn't tell their supervisor and if they didn't tell their deputy, much less the Secretary of Defense uh, sitting in the secession of command? Right, and he also opened up by saying, He should have resigned after Afghanistan. Think about that. Think about authoring and being in command of the worst military disaster in our lifetime. That's exactly right. I mean, I said at the time, listen, if no one's going to be fired for Afghanistan, I don't know why they would fire you for this. Afghanistan, of course, being one of the bigger calamities that we've gone through in a generation. Um, But I definitely, you know, what Waltz is saying resonates with me. Anybody who has studied government or been in the government knows of and values the chain of command and the necessity of being absolutely fast about it. The U.S. government struggled with this for decades, trying to figure out the quickest way from a CENTCOM commander, in this case, through the SECDEF to the president. And for the SECDEF, the person in the middle of the chain of command, not to be on deck so that he might be able to receive 
word from one of his commanders on around the globe and convey it to the president to get authority is unacceptable in this day and age. All right. So let's talk about the actual operation, what's happening in the Middle East, Michael Allen, because it is on fire. We have 40 plus attacks on our ships in the Red Sea, and it looks like they almost blew up one of our war uh, vessels yesterday. They said the it got to the point where this one way attack drone uh, was taken out by something almost like a Gatlin gun. So it would almost, mm. and if it hit, it would have uh, exploded half the ship and killed countless sailors. This is, they're not, they're not decelerating because our attacks are happening. Do you need to take a deep breath and come up with a strategy? Or should we have hit already after the attack in Jordan? So we definitely should have hit already, but your strategy point is perfect. They should have had a strategy for the head of the snake some time ago. Iran, of course, controls all of these proxies around the region, Hamas, Hezbollah, Houthi, these Shia militias in Syria and in in Iraq. It doesn't take a genius, even before October 7th, to know that we needed a viable plan to be able to deal with Iran. They export terrorism. They're on the verge. They're on the threshold of being a nuclear power. Biden should have had a viable plan that included not only the occasional use of force if it were needed, but greater financial sanctions along the lines of what President Trump had when he had a maximum pressure campaign against Iran. But when they hit us and kill American soldiers, the plan should have already been in the can where we would have been able to attack back at them with absolute quickness and skill. Instead, to let five days go by, I'm now seeing press reports that some of the Iranian terrorist liaisons have traveled back to Tehran. They're safe now. We're not going to be able to hit them. I think he telegraphs his punches and says, listen, we're going to blow up storage sheds. Maybe we'll blow up some missile launchers or something. But, hey, we're not trying to get in a big fight with you. We need to do something symbolic. And that's the problem. I think Biden is overcautious, and I don't think it serves the United States well. I know. Well, obviously, it's not been a dissuading factor. I I worry, I was just thinking about this this morning, but you're far more equipped, Michael, with more experience in government. Do you think that this is the ultimate uh, distraction for Iran just to finish off the nuclear program? I saw David, a quote from David Albright. He believes they're weeks away. And why would we let them get within weeks? We wouldn't. Why would Israel get them within weeks? We wouldn't. Is that why you put Hamas to put together this horrific act? I mean, early reports had... Iranian Iran was training them in Lebanon. Those just kind of yeah. disappeared and they're not exactly. going to disappear with me. Do you think this could be it? I think there is definitely something to this. The reason that Iran has so many terrorist proxies and has built this network is to try and keep Israel and the United States off balance. Hezbollah's express reason for being in Lebanon is to aim hundreds, hundreds and thousands of rockets at Israel so that if Israel was to strike Iran's nuclear program, Hezbollah would then launch rockets all across that nation. So they have set all of this up to try and deter Israel and the United States from taking a strike. And I'm afraid it's worked, especially since Trump, um, especially since um, the President Biden, of course, took away all the Trump-era sanctions. And so they've made progress on their nuclear 
program. We like to call it, you know, they're just one turn of the screw away from being able to have weapons-grade uranium. The hard part of the uranium enrichment progress was going from zero to 60. Now they're upwards of 60% highly enriched uranium. The path to get from 60-something to over 90, which is weapons grade, is much easier. They've already done the hard part. So they're on the threshold of it all, and I think they're keeping us off balance so they can go nuclear when they're ready. So I saw Secretary of State Blinken, if you could follow me. I'm not sure I buy into it, but I'll bounce it off you. Evidently, he's going to Saudi Arabia and talking to the prince who still wants to continue with the Abraham Accords, even though they don't use it because Donald Trump used it. And uh, they dropped the ball there, picked the wrong side. We know that. They set the whole mission back two and a half years. But now they want to see if Prince, uh, uh, the prince will actually recognize Israel. Uh, in exchange, getting up to Netanyahu and say, will you recognize Saudi Arabia? Knowing that would divide his government. Netanyahu, if he ignores it, he looks bad on the world stage. And if he accepts it, he loses his government and maybe loses power. I wonder if what you think about that scenario. I think that President Biden is continually trying to make Netanyahu look bad. I understand that he's a controversial prime minister and that people on the left and the right here in the United States look at him with great skepticism. But I don't think we ought to be trying to railroad Israel into a two-state solution just after the massive terrorist attack. It's almost as if we're rewarding Hamas and Iran and the Palestinians for sort of being complicit in this terrorist attack on October 7th. They need to slow it down. They need to give Israel the time and the space they need to prosecute this war against Hamas. After all, we, the United States, we wouldn't have been dictated to after 9-11 about how many al-Qaeda terrorists we could go after in Afghanistan. And I know it's unpopular with some members of Biden's base, but he ought to stand tall, give them more room to operate. And then over a longer period of time, if the Israeli government is willing to go for a two-state solution, then I think we take some steps in that direction. But I feel like Biden's trying to force the cart before the horse here and, and, and squeeze Netanyahu when I don't think that's the right play in a time of war. Not only that, they sanctioned individual Israelis for their actions in the West Bank as if they understand yeah. what's really going on in the West Bank, bypassing the government, going after specific Israelis? Is this a desperation to try to win back Muslim support, Arab support in your country that's bleeding from you in places like Michigan? Definitely. He, I think, real in his mind, when he thinks about his coalition in an election year, went whole hog in for Israel in the days after the attack, And then after we've sort of discovered just this latent anti-Semitism and we've seen the the alacrity and and passion from the anti-Israel left, he's tacking back. He, Biden's tacking back in the other direction and looking for symbolic actions or real actions to say, hey, listen, I'm not in the tank for Israel. But you're exactly right to go extra legal on Israeli citizens without even working with the Israeli government is something that we do to the Iranians, by the way. We don't do it to our friends and allies. Biden ought to be working this through the diplomatic process, maybe even uses it as as some kind of leverage. 
But I'm really surprised he went this path, and I think this is going to resonate right. negatively ultimately. So finally, Ukraine aid, you know, it's it's stuck right now. I'm not sure that they're going to be able to link it with the border uh, border security. I know there's rep- some sober Republicans understand we should be uh, helping out Ukraine with weapons. Where does Michael Allen stand? We need to be helping Ukraine with weapons because it's in our vital national interest. Wars, World wars start in Europe. If anyone had come to either of us or anyone in this business four or five years ago and said, if you could pay 2.5% of your annual defense budget to degrade Russians' army without an American soldier being involved and certainly not killed in action, we would have taken that deal. We would have thought it was a crazy deal. I hope the Senate, with or without border security, will pass the supplemental, and let's let the House consider it over time, and let's see what happens in the conflict. I don't want to put pressure. I hate jamming the House of Representatives, our our, our fellow Republicans there, but this has got to get done at some point because Putin does not have the, the United mm-hmm. States' interest in mind, and I think we need to at least enable Ukraine to defend themselves for another year, and then we'll settle it. We have a presidential election coming up. The American people can choose which direction to go in, right. but I don't like leaving them downrange. Absolutely not. I'm 94 in the Budapest Agreement, we promise to file a watch their back. I don't want to let another ally down. Michael Allen, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. one 408 I'll be back with some of your calls and some of your poll numbers. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Not your poll numbers, but Trump and Biden's poll numbers. You know what I mean. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. China just approved for Xi to be president for life. And Trump says, maybe we have to give that a shot someday. Enough is enough. How do people ignore that? I'm pretty sure he was joking. Joking about being president for life. Yeah. If you listen to the audio, everybody's laughing. They're clearly in on the joke. Okay, I'm sorry. Do you like Donald Trump? No, I actually... I think there's a lot wrong with the guy. It's just this happens not to be one of those things. I cannot believe I work with a Trump supporter. What? Let's get out of here, Jenny. I voted for Hillary. No, Mom, I agree with what he said about Donald Trump. I just don't think it's appropriate to say it at Aretha Franklin's funeral. <laughs> that is uh, Lou Perez. He's going to be on this weekend on One Nation. Very funny comedian. He does a lot of skits. you got to check him out. He's got the Lou Perez podcast, too. It's so so true. I can't believe how much I watch other channels, and they don't realize when Trump was kidding or being sarcastic. I might stay forever. I might never leave. Donald Trump says if he's elected, he will never leave office. No, he was kidding when he said he's going to be a dictator. He said for one day to drill and to build a wall. Yes, he admitted to us he's going to be a dictator. What other proof do we need? What are you kidding? He was kidding. You also buried the lead. Huh? He's going to be up on this show next hour. Well, I know, but we usually don't bleed no, one we, hour to we the next. Can, no, we can from the 10 to the 11. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. I, I never bleed one hour to the next. <laughs> we do the 10 to the 11. Okay. But, you know, we put it this way. The last hour on St. Louis is the first hour, though, right? Um. Yes. No, no. The fir- this is the first hour in St. Louis right now. The 10, then they play the 11, then they play the 9. Everyone's getting behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> this we is amazing. do the 10 to 11. Right. I'll tell you about the Christmas party next. 
atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. Final hour of the week, and we got a big hour. Lou Perez, outstanding comedian, host of the Lou Perez podcast, coming on at the bottom of the hour. Keep in mind, One Nation begins at 9 o'clock on Saturday, putting together a great show together that includes uh, Tillman Fertitta. It's going to include, uh, well, somebody that everybody uh, seems to love, and that is John Walsh when it comes to crime. It's one-stop shopping there. And uh, we also have other great guests. So make sure you tune in 9 o'clock on Saturday. Before we get to Shannon Bream, anchor of Fox News Sunday, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's three phases to every operation, the planning, the preparation, the execution. The planning is likely mostly completed, and the president's approved, you know, a suite of targets and locations as well, certainly. But given the nature of the targets that can be moved, like rockets, missiles, launchers, and obviously if we're going after leaders, they can be moved. And it's kind of too late. I'm all for a, a, a mature response. But this has been already a week. What is that message? Weakness. Number two. Her actions speak louder than her words. If she meant what she said, then why does she have a state law that, that prevents ICE from arresting an illegal alien on the way to court, in court, or the way home from court? Why is she asking for $2.8 billion to resettle illegal aliens in her state if she's really serious about this? Yeah, exactly, Tom Holman. I understand your frustration. It's the wild, wild west in city streets of America. As illegals swell shelters, hotels, tent complexes pop up all throughout our country's parks. The migrant mob, though, not happy to be here. Many of them are angry, committing crimes and beating up cops. I hope that's not okay with you. Number one. Challenger Gray came out with their uh, their, their layoffs, the big uh, spike, a huge spike in layoff announcements. Also, people, you know, putting up for wanted signs. So the, the trajectory right now is going to start to even show up in the data, no matter how much they try to massage it. But the job uh, report was strong. Over 343,000 jobs ended. New polls are out for 2024. In the Trump-Biden rematch, we got some there. While Nikki Haley screams not so fast, we got some polls with her. We'll get a look at what issues you care most about. And if you were to look at uh, the study, the one asked on a Fox News poll, uh, what do people care about? For example, in Wisconsin, the economy was number one with 55 Number two was the election integrity. Number three was immigration. Election integrity is something that's very political, obviously. Uh, when it comes to what, uh, who is winning, overall job performance on the national polls, it's real simple. It is Donald Trump leading in that poll. The only one he's been trailing on over the last three months has been the Quinnipiac poll. Has him down six, and that came out this week. We'll discuss that, including a 24-point lead he has over Nikki Haley in the first recent South Carolina poll. With us right now, uh, a person all over our election coverage, too, Shannon Bream, anchor of Fox News Sunday. Shannon, welcome back. It is great to be with you. I got to see you in person yesterday. What's that like? I always feel bad that I never get a chance to see the feeling people have. Uh, when they see me for the first time, because I'm well, me. I, there's a little bit of trepidation because I'm like, is the restraining order still in? Does it cover workplace? You and know, you're litigious by nature. I don't want anybody to get in trouble. Right. So, so I'm thinking of you. Well, it was great to see you too. I'm looking at the Fox News poll uh, in Wisconsin. Clearly, a battleground state. It is a dead heat. Uh, they talk about groups favoring Biden. 
It's suburban women, college degree people with college degrees. Uh, they favor Biden. Men, white evangelicals, no college degree, rural voters uh, favor Trump. Where have we seen this movie before? Mm-hmm. Uh, back to every day. And they break down everything that's going on in Georgia. It's a much better story for President Trump. He's got an eight-point lead in a state that's delivered now two Democratic senators. Uh, are you surprised? Because they seem to be – he seems to be catching some of the momentum Brian Kemp had. I mean, the, uh, we're just all over the place. Like you said, the Quinnipiac poll is, it seems to be kind of this outlier, but the swing state polls seem to show that Trump is you know, uh, doing well. In places like Georgia, I mean, but per our polling as well. So um, I think he's going to be really focused on swing states because we all know that there are certain states in this country that are never going to be blue, never going to be red, just maybe not in our lifetime. They would It would take a lot to show a major flip. So it really does get down to small groups of voters, small groups of states. Um, and it may turn into a situation where that's the only place that the major candidates go because it all comes down to those. Right. Uh, a couple of things uh, kind of odd. The president of the United States went over to Michigan, a state he's losing in most polls, that he absolutely needs to win. But he will not meet with the community, did not meet with the community that he has to win back over. And that's the Arab Muslim community. He is uh, not welcome there. Evidently, his campaign manager, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, went there and had a rude welcoming and the president decided to stay away. I'm not sure that's the smartest thing to, to do. Well, and when you have the White House or the campaign separately, the campaign sending their candidate out, but in such a way that they have to sort of kind of hide where he's going to be until the last minute and not tell people where the rally is going to be. Uh, They still have protesters there. It's just a real mess for the White House because this is a president who said he was going to govern to the middle. And whenever he does look like he's doing that or something bipartisan or not extremely left, the progressive left of his party comes after him. And you know he's hearing from a lot of members in places like Michigan and other places saying, hey, you're in real trouble here. Not that people are going to leave you and go vote for President Trump, because if there's issue, if their issue is Gaza or climate or the border, they're not, but they may stay home. And that's a problem for these campaigns that how do you generate excitement for an 80 plus year old president or incumbent? They need every single vote. You can't take anyone for granted. And they're getting, you know, a lot of warnings from the left that the president is losing on some of those things. And maybe that's why we got the West Bank order. Uh Right. Uh, you mean the West Bank order, which means we're going to sanction individual Israelis in the West Bank? Yes, that one. Because, listen, that came on the day, as you know, that he went to Michigan. And so people are saying, OK, could be a total coincidence, but it also could be a response to his left flank who says we are ticked about what's happening in Gaza. And the, and more more so even than that, that you as president of the United States is not being tougher on our ally there, you know, to make them back off. A couple of things. Uh, I guess evidently Morning Joe is an advisor to the president. He's obsessed with the show, which is good. I loved Happy Days as a guy. I could not wait every week for that to hop on. Kind of like Laverne and Shirley. So we all know what it's like to be obsessed by shows. Uh, for a while, I like Survivor. So Me that's too. interesting. Yeah. So it's, a, it's something we have in something we have in common. But so, One Nation, really. That's a show you don't want to miss. And that's pretty much – I'm surprised because most of my audience skews younger. Uh, so, yeah, but I'm su- hey. so I'm surprised you you like that. You're a bit of an outlier. So, Wait, are you saying that I'm super old? I think that's what you're saying. A little bit, and I regret saying it. <laughs> that does sound a little bit Lawsuit rude. to follow. See, now I'm going to have to call HR again on you. Right. I don't think you have to. You can, you can actually try your own case. You used to do that for a living. I did. I was a labor and employment lawyer, so you're, I, the complaint is coming. All right, good. 
Uh, so listen, President Biden was told by Morning Joe, go out and campaign more. Let him loose. Go let Joe loose. Let him talk more. I don't know. I've seen some major gaffes. I'm still trying to we have a team of scientists trying to work out what he was trying to say last week. And then you have this statement. Cut 10. We now have in large part because of you and organized labor, the strongest economy in the whole damn world. We do. We do. In the whole world. Inflation's coming down. Jobs are growing. We created 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Remember they told us we were dead. Manufacturing's dead in America. China was going to eat our lunch. Well, guess what, man? We don't taste that good. Okay. <laughs> Not really. Look, I know. Listen. I like to think of America as very tasty. Right. Not him. <laughs> Evidently, I don't know what he's talking about. I we have Who a lot that of speech. I'm not too sure, but I'm sure he's in the <laughs> I prompter. don't know. So this is the problem. This is why they don't put him out. I am. I'm personally offended. He doesn't do any interviews. Doesn't do any press conferences. I don't know. Is he gonna? Is he gonna mail in the, the State of the Union address when he finally does it? But maybe this is the reason why he doesn't. This is kind of Joe Biden going off in Columbia, South Carolina, and. About Donald Trump, who he clearly despises, cut 13. Donald Trump, when he was commander in chief, refused to visit a cemetery, U.S. cemetery outside of Paris for fallen American soldiers. And he referred to those heroes, and I quote, as suckers and losers. He actually said that. He said that. How dare he say that? How dare he talk about my son and all of us dressed like that? Yeah, oh, I mean, boy. He just snapped. I mean, number one, pre- President Trump pushed back on that. I said he never said that. Number two, he got bad right. information that it was too far. We went all over that. We went over that two and a half years ago. Yeah, but but people say things all the time that uh, are demonstrably false. And it's not just us fact-checking him. Like, Washington Post has given him four Pinocchios on some of the stuff he said. So you can't say it's just people that may see the world differently or whatever. I mean, he says things that are demonstrably false. And, and you know, a lot of people believe that was. All right. So that's some of the back and forth with, uh, with Trump on top. He's going to be sit down with Maria on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, with you, you have uh, some great guests on Sunday, too. We do. We've got Senator Lindsey Graham, who you know for months has been saying it's time for us to just basically go kinetic on Iran within their borders and on their infrastructure. We'll have to see. I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. We, Like you said, it's been a week that we find out exactly what's going to go on with our response. White House administration seemed to be sort of pre-buttling that, saying, hey, the first thing you see is not going to be the only thing. There will be things happening that you don't see. Uh, and then it will be maybe a longer-term response. So we'll see. So we'll talk about that with Lindsey Graham and also the border deal that he's kind of t- trying to tell his frenemy, President Trump, like, give it a chance. Don't don't sink this thing before you even see the text, which we could get today. They say latest by Sunday. So we'll see. Senator Crane. Also, I talked to him today. You might want to use the soundbite. Uh, he said, I'm going to read it first. I'm friends with Senator Langford. The problem that people have on the right, they won't sincerely want to solve the problem. And that is they don't believe the president of the United States wants to. They believe he opened mm-hmm. up the border intentionally. And when he came out and just yelled out, give me the power, I don't have the power, that's mm-hmm. not what – I mean, that is an unequivocal lie. Because exactly. everything he did with an executive order, Shannon, it's not my opinion, undid right. Title 42. It undid – stopped building the wall. Uh, it stopped the remain in Mexico. It stopped the uh, the first country, uh, the second country, the first country you step into out of your country where you apply for. It gave us this parole system. So, I mean – 
that's when you deal you when you're people say I'm not dealing with an honest broker. Why should I put my reputation on the line? That's the pushback. Now, Dan Crenshaw came out, said something different. He said, why are Republicans just saying no? It makes no sense. Read it first. Right. Right. And his thing is, listen, if you're trying to keep this alive for a political issue, what he said is, how many thousands of people are okay with you coming across the border for another nine months, whatever it is, a year by the time you get a new president? And there's if it, if President Biden's not reelected, if you think that's your end goal, then even then, unless you got to 60 members in the Senate, you're not going to be able to do anything massively when it comes to immigration. It is for decades bedeviled everyone who has been in charge of the White House, the House, the Senate. So Crenshaw is saying, like, if you believe your oath is to protect the country, you right. take whatever deal you can get now, if it's good, if it's decent, and you move forward to stop at least some of the tide of people coming over. You know, others will say, why are you going to give President Biden a win? Why are you going to do this when he's had three years and, like you rightfully said, Right. He came in and immediately repealed uh, executive orders that were demonstrably making a difference at the border. So, I mean, I get both sides. And he's suing Texas for trying to protect right. their own border. So that's what make people say, really? So just play this out mechanically. Uh, they put the vote up to the Senate. If the Senate gets word that the House will not bring this up, let alone pass it, does the Senate put their reputation on and vote for it? And maybe put all the pressure on the House. And all you need is 10. All you need is 10 Republicans in theory if every Democrat votes for it. I mean, and the thing is, the Republicans who are pushing the deal in the Senate say in order to even get the, the House to sniff around it and be sort of interested, you've got to at least get half of the GOP caucus over there in the Senate. And it's not clear that those votes are there. So – You've heard, you know, Speaker Johnson talk about dead on arrival. If it's not HR two, which is so much further than the Senate is clearly going to go, um, but it does give the White House and Democrats a talking point for an election year to say, like, hey, we came to meet them halfway at the table. We spent months negotiating, and the Republicans. You see every statement we get from the White House. They told us they wanted to solve this, but clearly they don't want to solve it, and their votes prove it. Uh, she is Shannon Bream. Uh, check uh, your local listings for Fox News Sunday. She's also chief legal correspondent, and she'll handle traffic tickets as well mm-hmm. as fender benders. Uh, she'll do everything on the weekend. Big on personal injury, cast up injury. trees, anything that you need handled. I'm right. there. By the way, don't forget, this week the Supreme Court is going to hear arguments on whether Colorado could kick Trump off the ballot, and obviously a lot of other states watching to see what happens with that. All right. Just uh, the only thing I ask you, Shannon, is uh, stay within yourself all weekend. Uh, well, I'm going to, um, and there are reasons for that that I cannot divulge, but Please we'll talk don't. about it Monday. Okay, good. She is okay, Shannon Bream. Thanks, Shannon. When we come back, your turn, one 408 I see you in Virginia. I see you in Georgia. I'll, work, I'll go around the country, around the world. Lou Perez at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. Remember to check out Brian's show, One Nation, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. If you already have plans, set up that DVR and watch when you get home. That's One Nation, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. Be there. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Biden administration, the U.S. government, hits Iranian military assets wherever they are, including possibly in Iran. I'm skeptical it will have much effect. I believe that Iranian decision-making bakes into their planning the risk that their proxies will be hit, that the U.S. will respond to the proxies as we have done against the Houthis. 
They have believed that by hitting the, def- the, the proxies, they, Iran, Iran's assets, Iran's governing capacities are protected. Until we start puncturing those, that, that risk assessment by them, I think this is futile. That's what uh, Dan Sinor says, who obviously has got big roots in the uh, in Israel, got family there, all part of October 7th, he's got a book, uh, two or three books written on Israel. But he also was a, a key advisor to President Bush, especially during the days after Saddam Hussein was kept, leading up to Saddam Hussein's capture. So understands the region in particular. Let's go out to Daniel in Georgia. Hey, Daniel. Uh, good morning, Brian. By the way, I was actually watching you on Fox and Friends this morning. Congratulations on your uh, one million copy sold of your book yeah um, thank you george washington's secret six went over a million sold so that's pretty cool okay. thank you to everybody where can i get that book and get a signed copy of that from oh you? very easy uh, just go to for him i should have been saying this brian i have all my books i could personalize them and send it out to you right now teddy and booker t uh seven weeks on the bestseller list so uh, well, i hope you like monday i'm gonna get those two books uh i'll go onto your website and get them my birthday's on monday so i'd love to order them by then all right um my 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 two things is uh, you were on this morning with one of our state senators from Georgia, Colton Moore, and I was shocked to hear about the hidden room on the second or third floor of the airport um, at the Atlanta airport. There's got to be something that can be done. I really don't want my airport, and when I say mine, I'm meaning Georgia. Oh, Georgia, yeah. Airport. You believe for that? Turn, Dan, you believe that? This. Secret rooms in the Atlanta airport where they're keeping illegal immigrants. Is that unbelievable? That's just crazy. There's something the governor, he said, no, it's a federal issue. No, God, Brian Kemp, there's something you can do. I'm, I'm not going to have this turn into Chicago and to Boston, which ticks me off. And my last thing I'm going to let you go so I can listen to you is the three soldiers are also, it heartbreaks me because they're from Georgia as well that were killed in Georgia. I know. Last week, the thing is, um, I, I want to, if any of uh, Mr. Biden's cronies are listening to this show, tell him, try to have a little bit of respect and not look at his watch today. Exactly. While those service people are coming in. Uh, listen, Brian. Take it. I, if, I was, if I was his staff, I would take it away from him. Do not let him wear a watch today. Thank you, Daniel. Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. For the news media, which means the public depends on us to report the facts and hold those in power accountable. We asked Donald Trump the hard questions and we never let up. And that's not going to change just because Joe Biden happens to be president. Definitely not. That being said, we are going to make a few adjustments. Like what? Well, uh, Michelle, uh, you're covering that story on migrant children at the U.S.-Mexico border, right? See. Si. Well, when Trump was president, what would that headline have been? Trump puts kids in cages. Now that it's happening under Biden, we're going to want to massage that headline just a little bit, you know, so we can be even more accurate in our reporting. So instead of kids in cages, we're going to say kids in temporary housing. Oh. Hey, I have some of those old pictures of brown kids in temporary housing from the Obama administration. We could just reuse those. Nice, Philip. Recycling is good for the environment, and it is great for the news cycle. That is Lou Perez having some fun with some comedian friends of his. Uh, he is the host of the Lou Perez podcast, uh, also the author of That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. Uh, you could follow him at the, Lou, uh, at the Lou Perez. Is that true? Is that how we follow you, at the Lou Perez? Yeah, because there's some other guy out there named Lou Perez, and I haven't found him. I haven't tracked him down yet, right. so I need to differentiate myself. I mean, yeah. what would you do if you met him? Would you try to, would you try to kill him? I, 
Uh, who I, who I, thinks, uh, even if it is try, his name? Try. I think I would have you a would very, do it. very easy time. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so, so, Luke, great to meet you. Nice to meet uh, you. Let's just take a step back. How did you get into comedy? Yeah, I started uh, doing uh, improv and sketch comedy at NYU. Um, that's where I uh, cut my teeth uh, over at the uh, because the, it's such an affordable school. Well, at the time, you know, I, I a lot of people don't believe this, but I actually got an academic scholarship to go to NYU. <laughs> right. So I got to go and waste an academic scholarship <laughs> by being you know, by studying writing and then eventually improv comedy. Um, and uh, yeah, so we uh, uh, I was in a group over there. We started performing at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, right. and you know, looking back, it's like. 20 years now it's just insane like how long it's been and then you go from the the acting part to stand-up yeah it took me a long time to get the cojones to actually try stand-up because the thing is like when you're doing improv or sketch comedy uh if you're dying up there you're dying with friends right and it's like great we're all in this band of brothers we're all in this together but when you first start doing stand-up and you're dying it feels like it feels like you're giving your own like eulogy Basically, right. you know, it's, it's, it could be really painful. It right. took a while. And eventually, you know your friends are going to turn on you anyway. So this is just an accelerated thing that happens when you're on your stage by yourself. Oh, 100%. Right. Yeah. So, so you did stand up. You're having all the, uh, the success. Did comedy change in those 20 years? Oh, oh, big time. I, I, I well, when In my book, uh, I had the opportunity to sort of like look back at, you know, 20 years and what it was like when I first started out. And when I first started out, especially at the UCB Theater, it was all about like – Get up there, try, try, fail, go for it, commit, go all out. And I was so fortunate to be, you know, coming up in that time where, whereas now, especially like I would say the past like, like seven or so years as things have became, became so political where people were afraid to try stuff because, you know, there's not, it's like, it used to be the worst thing would be like, okay, nobody laughs, but now it could be like, nobody laughs. And you get fired. You know? <laughs> right. And we nobody, can't have you on again. Yeah, we can't. We, we don't want you to exist right. uh, anymore. So you started feeling the aftermath of the polarization in Washington. So if you decide to do some politics, do some news of the day, and you say something good or bad about Trump in particular, good or bad about Biden, you got you all of a sudden look in the audience and you see people getting uptight. Oh, to- totally. And I think people have become so tribal as well and like so, you know, steeped into, you know, whatever team they're on that they're even just like, trigger words that you know you could say so there are people who like you'll say you know bring up joe biden and they hear joe biden they're like okay he's either on my team or he's against my team and it gets in the way of them hearing what the punchline is going to be so i think it cut it it cuts off a lot of people so uh, and you know i have some people that are just like i'm pro-trump i don't even care and then obviously you have everybody else (laughs) which is you know, if you're going against, I watch the late night shows, and it almost instead of the laughing, you have copping. I'm like, why? Why are they clapping? Because it's uh, Donald Trump did this, Donald Trump did that, and can you believe he's such an idiot? And they're clapping. And I'm saying, is that the goal? When did that become the goal? It used to be find something in the news and take a twist on it, have some fun with it. And I remember uh, Leno would be. I didn't think I'd be pointing this out, but he would be very deliberate in going to both sides. Yeah, I think something happened. When when Trump came uh, came into office, where he was viewed as such an existential threat, that basically like all of his enemies and critics were like, I have to use whatever weapon I have to take this guy down. And if you're a comedian, well, I guess your weapon is punchlines, right? So, but what ends up happening ultimately is that like you know the jokes write themselves. 
So we know what the punchline is going to be, you know, every single time. And it just gets stale and it gets, uh, you know, it's like, what, what, what are we even doing here other than, you know, clapping along if that's your tribe? Hey, we're here with, uh, we're here with Lou Perez. Here's more from uh, Lou's work, having some fun with politics. This is all well and good, Todd, but I'm used to verbal sparring with President Trump, getting into it with him at a live press conference. Of course, and the people love it. Yeah, you put your life on the line. I know. But what if I agree with everything the president says now? Maybe if you finish some of the president's sentences for him, you could still get some screen time. For instance, if, if Biden is stumbling over a sentence... Uh, you mean his empathy stutter. Very good, Michelle. So, <laughs> if Biden is experiencing an empathy stutter, you could just go ahead and finish that sentence for him. Whoa. Nicely done, Bob. You're going to be back on TV in no time. And that's... You're not kidding. I mean, if you see, you see, do we have those cuts from last week, Allison? Do you remember when the President Biden was making a speech and he said something unintelligible? Josh, you remember that? So he says this, he, he had two of the, he starts doing this thing called appearances again. Because he wasn't <laughs> doing them. And right. he wants to run for re-election. And that's usually something that's pretty easy to do. You got Air Force One, you got this machine around you, people will show up, you're the president. And he's starting to make speeches. And his speeches are, they go into weird territory. And even last week, I remember he's making a speech and he said a bunch of things off the prompter that you could not understand. So I thought, okay, even on CNN and MSNBC, they're going to have to say, listen, the president didn't have a good day today. Like this didn't make any sense, but the rest did. I know what he meant. You know, he was born stutterer. You know, everyone's still battling that. Not a word on the other channels. It was... People are wondering if Donald Trump still has it together. You want to hear it? Josh, you have it? Are you still looking? 1,600 asylum officers and over 100 cutting-edge inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming on our southwest border. How'd that go? Uh, brilliant. That, sound, that sounds that sounds amazing. I mean, that there was, you know, it's up there with the whole, you know, Gor- Mr. Gorbachev. Right. Tear down the, tear down <laughs> right. The I mean, and there was others. They're not even uh, intelligible. This, yeah. Listen to this. By the way, used to make beer brewed here. <laughs> it is used to make brew beer. <laughs> oh, Earth Rider. Thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder. <laughs> you want to help me with that, Lou? I, uh, I like beer. Uh, <laughs> you think, got that? Did he? I, yeah, brew here, beer, Great Lakes. Beer is good. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. How many did he have? I mean, uh, throw back before uh, uh, before that speech. So what, what happens is when you when you make a speech, George George just never had a problem with the New York Times broke the Bill Clinton story with Lewinsky. I mean, there was a time when it was kind of blended, and now it is just it's pointed out people like you and maybe Bill Maher who point out and go, yeah, I'm not really fans of Trump, but should we admit the Russia thing was all made up at some point? Should we not point out that the economy was better, that the immigration's a problem? Are we not? Are we pretending that all these kids who don't speak our language in our kids' school is okay? Why are we pretending that? And yeah, you I, have someone on the left who can't take it. Yeah, and I think I think that's why it's so we're so fortunate to be in the in the time that we are now, where there's just so many people who are able to point it out to just be like, no, no, that's that's BS. Like that that's just not normal. Um, that you can't hide from it. You know, that's right. what I think. And I think a lot of the gatekeepers, you know, they're they're finding out like, you know, they can't hide the truth from uh, from people. anymore. But you know, what you need you need people in comedy clubs first 
to say, hey, Lou went up there and he said something positive or negative about Trump or this or that. And maybe you were in Oklahoma and you're out there going, well, Donald Trump had a good that, – that, that's going well. Only 91 charges, whatever you want to say. You need to, the comedy club owners say, no, Lou, stand by it. That's what you think. I know, you, I know you're good. So if they start saying, well, if you're offending that crowd, I can't really book you, that's a lack of courage. You need courage down the pike, let alone television, unless you're Dave Chappelle at the tip of the spears, too big to cancel – that if you try to cancel him, he's going to go do an arena. He's going to get 12,000 people anyway. Yeah, I, I think every comedian needs an audience, and every comedian needs supporters behind them. So especially, uh, I think I think nowadays it's so much easier to support those that you love directly, whether it's you know through Patreon or locals or, or something like that, where I think— So Patreon is you've, you have your own fans, and locals is your own fans. Yeah, yeah. So I'm at thelouperez.locals.com. Like, that's, uh, that's one word. And I'm actually on Locals, too. Oh, cool. Just started. Nice, yeah. nice. How you doing? You, can you share some— uh, I some will not green? share my audience with yours no. at all. But <laughs> I get, I get a, lot of, a lot of notifications. That that, you got. Do you go live? Um, I, I'm going to start doing it. Right, so. because then I'll get notifications. Because if this goes well, and so far I have to say it is, cool. uh, I'd like to follow you with your permission. No, you you can follow. Me. I can follow. Yeah, would you? Not too not wanna, too uh, far behind. Not too close. Yeah, yes. yeah, not too far. Now, now, Lou, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is this something like? Would you eventually like to follow me? You know what? I mean, this date is you going pretty well. Yeah. Can we take a break and you want to think about it when we come back? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll think about it. I might have to move this wedding finger. This right, wedding right. ring right now. No, I want us to follow. Yeah. I just want you enough to care that you would follow. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for you. You're, you know, you seem like a good kid. You know, you're up and coming. Right. We'll, we'll can make it happen. All right, good. So we'll take a break. We'll find out. So Lou is leaning towards a yes on local. So hopefully you feel the same way. Uh, Lou's going to be on One Nation. It's going to be on Saturday night at 9 o'clock, repeated all throughout the night uh, and through the weekend. Uh, you could pick up his book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. More with Lou in just a moment. You're listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. Biden's been accused of sexual assault and inappropriate touching. You mean allegedly? Biden's allegedly been accused of sexual assault and inappropriate touching. Biden has allegedly been accused of showing physical empathy. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Todd, what about executive orders? When Donald Trump used them, I wrote that he was literally Hitler. Did Hitler issue a lot of executive orders? I don't know. Don't worry about it. It's a great comparison. I know. But what if Biden passes an executive order? If? Yeah. No, he will be. Whether it's canceling student debt, joining the Paris Accord, reversing Trump's orders on Title IX, or even a little bit of gun control. Oh, nice. I agree with all those things. Well, you have nothing to worry about. Still, executive order has such a bad connotation now because of the bad connotation I gave it. Reporting on it made me feel icky. But when Biden does it, he won't be issuing executive order. He'll be speaking his truth. What about foreign military actions? You mean defunding the enemy? Whoa. You know, when Trump was president, he approved over 12,000 drone strikes? That was really bad. Biden's going to continue ordering drone strikes. That's also really bad. No, because they're not going to be called drone strikes anymore. They're going to be called equity drops. Oh. Like when Obama did them. Obama ordered drone strikes? Oh, yeah, all the time. Weird. I don't remember ever reporting on that. That is awesome. Uh, Lou Perez, everybody in our audience gets that. This is exactly what I'm dealing with every single day. The It is just backwards world. Yeah, it's the 
the changing of words and definitions and euphemisms and right. stuff. And I, I got to say, like, you know, this that sketch came out like January 2021. And the amount of stuff that I predicted, you know, I feel like <laughs> if only I could I could work that into like a lotto, you know, my lottery uh, lottery playing. It does, yeah, it doesn't matter. You actually have a president, like it or not, they can't walk onto a stage, can't leave without total confusion, and can't give a speech without major uh, issues. And it doesn't seem to come up on any channel. Yeah. How, how do you have a president that can't? And how, by the way, will not interview. Will not hold a press conference. Will only talk to us with a screaming helicopter behind them. Why is that okay with the press? That is our job to be able to talk to him. He doesn't talk to us, and nobody's angry. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the press needs definitely like a big wake-up call um, because you know over the years I think trust in in media or the corporate press has definitely gone down, down, down. And uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're learning from it. Right. So the whole world is on fire. Do you remember Bob Bob Gates came out and said, Joe Biden has been wrong about every single national security issue um, for the last 40 years. And Bob Gates was his secretary of defense back then. And when asked about that, he said, well, I didn't think he was running for president. So he's don't you believe that Joe Biden has kept that record? Yeah, well, I got to say, I remember, you know, during uh, during the Trump presidency, we were really worried about World War Three. Yes. And now here we are looking like we're closer and closer to World War Three. Like in a way, it's sort of like Joe Biden has become everything that critics of Trump wanted Trump to be. Um, and it's you know, it's a it's a pretty scary, scary time. Right. And you're willing to go up there and do these skits. It doesn't matter the type of criticism. John Stewart's coming back. He's going to be grabbing The Daily Show. There's no doubt about it. He was on the cover of every magazine. Huge impact up until 2016 when he steps away. Uh, Trevor Noah might have won awards, but no one cared about a show. They gave every huge comedian a chance to do a show. What does it say to you that he's coming back? I mean, I think that it's definitely a, a big nostalgia trip uh, for a lot of people. Um, you know, without a doubt, Jon Stewart left a huge mark, you know, on the culture. But it's been like nine years since he left The Daily Show. And honestly, I don't know anyone who's like, you know what? I wonder what Jon Stewart is going to say about X, Y, or Z issue. It's like we know exactly what he's going to say. And basically every single comedian that, that he helped breed afterwards, they all have the same opinions. They just you know, say them in different accents. Um, so things have changed since he left. When he left, he was almost the only one doing it. Maybe Saturday Night Live, Weekend Update. But now that he comes back, you have podcasts like yours, other podcasts. You got Joe Rogan, you got Bill Maher. You have all these people already doing that, flipping on the president, talking about the news, talking about this stuff. That it's a very crowded landscape now. Oh, it's it's insanely crowded, and also like like you said, at the time, The Daily Show was the place to go if you wanted to see them taking down like uh, cable news, right? And now, Us. yeah, yeah, that Fox News in particular. So now uh, you have, you know, you have creators who can take like a five minute daily show clip and they will if they will break it down in like a 45 minute video saying, OK, this is the facts that they get wrong. This is the, they're doing uh, manipulative editing here, et cetera, et cetera. The daily show is also a target uh, for you know, the same people who are calling out you right. know, BS. Lastly, have you made sense of the Taylor Swift phen- uh, phenom? 
First off, her success, that's a story. Combine it with the Kansas City Chiefs, the most successful team in sports over the last 10 years. They're back in the Super Bowl, and now there's a big rumor that it's fixed, so Kansas City and Taylor win. That is the craziest thing I've heard, or am I wrong? Um, well, i got to talk to my bookie right. and, and see what you he think thinks about. the 49ers going to roll over because Taylor Swift's famous? Yeah, it's it's wild. Like, you know, I... I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and when someone says that, it means that they yeah, actually they are. are a conspiracy. Yeah. But the, I want to know who's behind the conspiracy making this conspiracy. You know, right? And then she came down to the field like, why is she trying to get attention? I don't know. She's dating the best player on the team. Right. He came down. He had 12 catches. She, the, all the other families were down there. She was just down there. Yeah. What's the big deal? My my favorite, though, was the analysis of, like, how she was holding his face yes. when they were kissing. It's like, oh, that's not real. I don't, I don't know what the argument was, but come on. I am a romance expert, so <laughs> I am qualified to do that. Um, Lou Perez got a book out. It's called uh, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. Almost everything he does is. Lou Perez is uh, the Lou Perez podcast. And you also can follow him at the Lou Perez because someone will beat you to that handle. I'm going to find you, Lou Perez. See you Saturday at 9, okay? Brian Kilmer, Jeff. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.